Good morning. Welcome to Mariner's Church. Thank you guys for being part of today. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here. <laughs> My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I'd love to at the end of the service um, back there in the lobby. But welcome. Welcome to this church family. It's a good place to come and, and this exciting day as we uh, um, um, look forward to um, our guest speaker that I'm going to introduce in just a second. Our theme for this entire year as we're, as we're looking kind of ahead for 2018 is Illuminate. Um, there's a great passage in the Bible where, where it says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be opened, and the word is illuminate, may be illuminated, the inside of you might be opened up to everything that God has for us and everything that God wants us to be and everything that God wants us to do because we're called here for a reason and a purpose. And so we really want to understand all the hope that God has for us, all the joy that God has for us, all the peace that he can give us, and then the purpose that he has for us as well. And so in order to do that, we really want to know him and we really want to know his word. And so we just finished 40 Days in the Word. And I hope you've enjoyed that. I I had a great time as I went through the books and and, and all that. And and, and it really recharged me in a lot of different, a lot of great ways. And we want our hearts to be illuminated through knowing Jesus. And so today we kick off a new series that we're calling Seeing Jesus. Um, We want to be able to really see who Jesus is, who he is, um, what he's done for us, and, and all that really happens in our lives because of him. And what's cool is we have Dr. Eric Taunas who will be joining us. A couple of years ago, um, um, he was the main speaker for our youth at Hume Lake. And, and, and he was great, at least. The reports like, oh, man, yeah, this, guy, this guy's really good. This guy's really good. I kept hearing it again and again and again. In fact, exact one of the youth said this. You should get Dr. Taunas to come. He's really good. I actually wrote this quote down. He's really good. Wouldn't it be great if we had someone really good speak at Mariners? <laughs> so I waited a year and a half. <laughs> Eric is a professor uh, and department chair of biblical and theological studies at Biola University and Talbot Seminary in Southern California. But he doesn't just simply what we would think, oh man, the guy's you know an egghead academician and all that kind of stuff. He has a deep love for people as I've been uh, spending time with him. And, and that's resulted in him not just simply being an educator and a professor. He loves his students, but he also loves the people as he's a pastor at Grace Evangelical Free Church in La Mirada, California. So he actually is involved in lives of a lot of people. He's written a bunch of books, a ton of, of articles. In fact, I, I'm gonna, I, I didn't do this the other services, and I'll probably send you an email on this as well, but you want to write this down. There's actually, a, 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 you go to the Biola website, and there's a, there's a thing that's called Open Biola, Open Biola. Um, and if you were just write down Open Biola, and you could probably Google it, um, you will see um, a numbers of, of the, the speakers at Biola and the professors at Biola doing almost little TED Talks. I mean, they're just brief little, little talks on particular subjects of, of life and, and of Scripture. And, and I know Dr. Tonis has a bunch of them on there as well, as long as other ones. And they're just a very short, good things that you can just look at and say, wow, I never knew that, or that's a really interesting thing. Open Biola, um, B-I-O-L-A. B-I-O-L-A, okay, um, Open Biola, and it's, it's just a great resource for that. Um, anyway, um, enough of the commercial part of it. Let's uh, get to our guest speaker. Let's welcome Dr. Eric Tonis coming to share with us. So, brother, thank you. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you. Uh, it's so good to be here. I have so enjoyed the couple of days that I've been able to spend here. I love to get to do this sort of thing, and I see it as a sacred trust to open the word with a flock that 
isn't mine that I'm overseeing, but I, I'm privileged to do this sort of thing. And I love to come and see churches where God's at work and where the leaders love the people. I actually meet a lot of leaders, and they have these really clear goals of what ministry success would look like, but they can be pretty frustrated that they're not at the goals. And in between where they are and where the goals are are all these stinking people. <laughs> and if you could just get those people out of the way, I could accomplish my goals forgetting that ministry is the people. And it's so good to meet leaders like Paul and Len this weekend and say, oh man, they love you. They really do. You're not this obstacle in the way to their goals. You are the goals. There's a love, a pastoral heart for all of you that is a beautiful thing to see. Yay! Yes. And, and, and they, they love this community. They, they're so called to reach this community with all of the blessings of living here and the challenges that come with it, caring about spiritual things and eternal things when there's just temporal beauty everywhere and easily distracting you from what lasts forever. And so it's just a beautiful thing to see what's happening in the church. You get a pretty dim view of the church if you just pay attention around us. But to visit churches and say, wow, God's at work and there are real people really pursuing God. It's a beautiful thing to see. And I love this theme, seeing Jesus. If you just thought that was a big ink blot, did you see Jesus in there? There are two of them, right? I'm not going to give it away where he is. You have to find it yourself. But there are two. Did you just see it? Oh, yes. Um, well, I love that. And I love that visual too. I was actually thinking of coming up with something like that. But here they did it for me. And it's beautiful. But uh, seeing Jesus, what's interesting about that is you can see something and not see something. You can hear something and not hear something. I became a dad just 10 years ago. We adopted uh, four kids over an eight-year period, and our house, is, our home has been in turmoil, but it's, it's actually becoming a more peaceful place right now. All older kids, three from Taiwan, one from China, but I I'm lost count a long time ago how many times I've said to my kids, did you hear me? Or, do you see that? I've told you so many times, be careful when you open the car door, and now there's a dent. Do you see that? Do you see that? Right. And when I'm asking my kids, did you see that? Or do you, did you hear me? I'm not asking, did you hear me? Or did, do you see that? It's, do you see that? Right? In a way where it's making a difference, where it's affecting you in a way where your behavior will change, hopefully, right? Where you're seeing it in a way that is beyond the service. Yeah, that's a dent. What do you mean? Uh, no, I, I want them to see. I want them to really see. And so seeing Jesus is something people have done for centuries. But when we say see Jesus, we're not talking about just seeing him or considering him as a historical figure. No, we are seeking to see him the way he actually calls us to see him you know he'll say things like let him who has ears to hear let him hear or eyes to see let him see and so we're wanting to see just beyond the surface to who jesus really is most people like jesus right but what we tend to do with jesus is make him in our own image sort of the jesus version we want him to be rather than who he really is and so we want to see beyond the surface i when, when the movie came out, The Passion of the Christ, which is a film about the suffering and death of Jesus. The whole film is really uh, on just those few hours of his suffering and death. And it's just a brutal...
brutal film to watch. And as someone who knows that Jesus suffered and died in my place, it was gut-wrenching for me. I mean, I was a mess the entire time from the time the thing opened. It was like (laughs) kind of just a mess. I was just undone. And I'll never forget in the midst of just imploding in this movie, I looked over, and this guy's on his phone. And I look over here, and this lady's just eating popcorn. And I hear in the, in the theater next to us, it must have been an action movie because there are these explosions and car chases. And I'm thinking, this is too sacred to just have in this sort of environment. And then I thought right there in the theater, but wait. Do you know the actual crucifixion was more like this? It wasn't held in a cathedral. It, they would crucify people along a road. It was a public thing. And travelers would be going by. You got kind of used to it. And you would see it. And you wouldn't really see it. It wouldn't affect you the way it should. And I thought, wow, that's probably true, not just of the crucifixion, but most of Jesus' ministry, he's teaching yes to the masses. Some are paying attention. Some are hating him. Some are just walking by. Probably most are just going about their daily business, walking right by Jesus not knowing that the Savior of the world is in their midst. The one they need more than anyone else is right there. I thought, man, I don't want to miss Jesus. I've seen Jesus for who he is. I think you could actually define a Christian as someone who has beheld the glory of God in the face of Christ and is never the same. That you've seen Jesus for who he is because until you see him, you'll never really find out who you are. You'll never really find out what life is all about, really, from the Creator's perspective. And so seeing Jesus is what we're after. Nothing more important than this. Nothing. Nothing more important than this in the entire world. And so I want to go to the Bible, which tells us who Jesus is and how we can see him. And I want to look this morning at one of my heroes, Simeon. He's one of these one-hit wonders who shows up in Luke chapter 2. You know, Simeon, you know what a one-hit wonder is? These song, these groups that have these songs and they go right to the top of the charts and they have this huge success and then you never hear from them again. That one-hit wonder is like, come on, Eileen, oh, you know what I mean. Oh, yeah, I just dated myself. Yes, that was a one-hit wonder. You never heard from Dexy's Midnight Runners again after Come On, Eileen. I mean, can you name one more song? They did, right? You, you can't do it. So there are one-hit wonders in the Bible. These people who show up, like Melchizedek, right? The woman wiping Jesus' feet with her tears. She shows up, has this huge impression, and you never see her again. You never see Melchizedek again. Who, and you want to say, who was that? Well, one of these one-hit wonders that just gripped my soul was Simeon in Luke 2. It's in this birth narrative. The, the Christmas story now extends as Jesus is a baby still, but he's, he's moving along in the story. This is a Rembrandt of the Simeon story. That old man is Simeon in Rembrandt's mind and beautiful painting, the artist of light, right? It's just beautiful, the light on Jesus, the light on Simeon's face because he's seeing the light of the world. Just beautiful portrayal. But, but this is Rembrandt's image of this scene we're about to see. Simeon sees Jesus. He sees the Savior of the world in this baby. And I want to know why. Because he sees Jesus, as we'll see, in the temple, thronged with people, 
Think of being at the mall at Christmas time. He's in the temple and people are coming from all over the place offering sacrifices and going about commerce and there's a market there where they're buying their sacrifices. Busy place, complex place. And it seems in this story only two people can actually see the savior of the world in this baby. Simeon and this woman right after him, Anna. If we have time, we dive into her story too. But they're very similar stories. And I want to know why Simeon can see Jesus when no one else seems to be able to. So let's go to the story. Luke 2 tells us this awesome story of this hero of the faith who points us to the hero, Jesus. Here it is. Luke 2, beginning at verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. What you need to know about the sacrifice Joseph and Mary are offering here is this sacrifice of a bird, pigeons or a dove, is actually a concession in the law for poor people. The normal sacrifice would be a lamb. But if you couldn't afford that, there's an allowance for the poor in the law. It says if if that can't be afforded, then it'll be okay to bring a, a bird. One of the cheapest things you could buy in the marketplace. And so we get right off the bat here, okay, the Savior of the world has come, and it's not like we'd expect at all. A baby in the arms of a poor couple. But look at our man Simeon who can see. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. I absolutely love this term for Jesus. You know what consolation is? Someone who consoles you. Someone who comes alongside in your suffering and says, they're there. It's going to be all right. I got it. I got it. And, and he does, he's the consolation of God's people. He consoles us. The consolation of Israel. He's been waiting his whole life for this. Consoling presence of God. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And then the day comes. Moved by the Holy Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. See, he's got the sight he needs. Which you've prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel 
and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Oh, come on, seriously. Anybody who thinks the Bible's boring clearly has never read it. This is just a phenomenal story. So here's Simeon, and he sees Jesus. Masses of people going back and forth and by this couple, and he has the eyes to see. How? How, as he goes to the temple, longing for God's provision, there were so many ways to think through how God would provide. And you had all these responses at this time in the first century. Think about it. The Romans had taken over the promised land, including Jerusalem, including the temple where they were, and they were living under Roman oppression, paying taxes to a blasphemous system that gave money to Caesar so he could oppress you. Gave money to Caesar when it said on those coins and a denarius, Augustus Caesar, divine Caesar. The whole system was blasphemous. And you're under the oppression of, of Rome, and you want out. You want victory from this. In so many different responses, you had the zealots. There were these revolutionaries who would carry daggers and stab a Roman soldier if they caught him in a dark alley and take matters into their own hands. You had the Pharisees. And they, they were these resistant, they didn't like Rome, and they had this sort of passive resistance to it and got all in their the religiosity about it all. And then you had the Sadducees who were actually became part of the system and sort of liked it. And you had the Essenes who went off into the wilderness and completely separated themselves from all of it. But then you had the Amharets, the people of the land. Just the people waiting for God to provide. The people of the land. Simeon's one of these. And the first thing I want you to know about Simeon is that he needed an introduction. I love this. You know how people say, well, this man needs no introduction. Right? Or we even know some people on a first-name basis just share. Right? Or Madonna. Just throw out the name. Uh, Justin Bieber, right? We just throw the name out and we all know who he is. Not not Simeon. Don't you love that it says, now there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He needed an introduction. I love that. This man who has this incredible ability to see God in Jesus needed an introduction. In other words, he wasn't famous. The source of his ability to see was not impressive credentials, even impressive religious credentials. He didn't apparently have a name that preceded him, a significance. Oh, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a major religious leader, wildly successful ministry, well-published, all these things that we tend to throw out there that aren't really the key at all to seeing who God is. Isn't this great that Simeon actually points us to Jesus in this? Jesus is from this nowhere backwater village named Nazareth. A carpenter, not impressive. Like Simeon, he needed introduction. And the people in Nazareth were even offended by Jesus when he started to talk as the Messiah, the anointed one of God who would bring the kingdom of God. And, And so they weren't prepared because they had views of God's provision that were very different than the way God did it. But here he is, no fame, no titles, no impressive credentials. That's not the bottom line in knowing God and seeing God. 
After all, God tells us in his word, doesn't he, that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks where? On the heart. That's right, on the inside. So I was saying it from the inside out, not just superficially, from the inside out. I want this love from the heart. Now, our lives can look like a mess from the outside and be something beautiful in the heart. They can look really beautiful, impressive on the outside, but God sees our lives as ugly because our, our hearts are rebellious toward him. And so God looks at the heart. That's great news, right? That I don't have to accomplish all of these worldly, external, impressive things to really know God. Very often, the people who are most impressive to God are least impressive to the world. And so that, that's really good to know. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And then we find out this. Simeon could see Jesus in part because he's righteous. Here's the description. He's righteous. Simeon was righteous in God's sight. That simply means he does what God says. He doesn't do what God says not to do. He obeys God. He's morally upright. He sees God's law and he obeys it. Not perfectly, but that's the tenor of his life. In other words, he's come to the conclusion that he doesn't run his own life independent of God. He answers to God for how he lives his life. He's not some autonomous being that is just determining life for himself. He's going to God and saying, Lord, what are your ways? I want to know your ways so I can walk in your ways. And this is so important to realize. It's been said there are two fundamental facts of human enlightenment. One, there is a God. Two, you are not him. Now, you laugh at that because on one level, like we need to be told, I need to be told I'm not God. Yes, I do, because I often think I know better than my creator. And if he would just let me take the reins of existence, then everything would be much better. And I'm going to take matters in my own hands. We're preaching through Genesis at our church right now. Oh, my goodness. The heroes of the faith, like Abraham, have these ups and downs of faith and faithlessness, and they go in the faithlessness. Every time they say, this isn't going the way I thought it would, I'm going to manage it myself instead of trusting God and resting in him. And that's where we get off course, right? No, no. I want to be happy, and this is the only way to be happy. So even though God says to do the opposite, I'm going to do this. And so when we're told Simeon was righteous, one of the reasons he can see Jesus is because he's not seeing himself as in charge of his life, determining how it all needs to go. So he's righteous. And then we're told a very related word, he's devout. He obeys God. After all, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. You'll do what I say. So obedience is right at the heart of being a disciple. Disciples, from the same root word, is discipline. We discipline ourselves to obey the Lord. And then this related word, he's devout. That means he's devoted to religious duty. Oof, really? I thought religion was just a bad thing. Bad religion is actually a fascinating band name, right? There's a band called Bad Religion, and I'd love to find out what went into that when they came up with that. There is bad religion. There's religion that isn't about pursuing a relationship with God. But you know what? There's good religion. If I were to say to my wife when she came to me and said, you know, Eric, we haven't been on a date in months. And I were to say, honey, 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 why the legalistic rules? (laughs) Right? 
This is about relationship, not rules and religious practice of doing stuff. I'm not going to put date Don on a list so I can check it off. This is organic, baby. This is just, this is organic. She's not going for it, right? Because, yes, it's about relationship, but what do you do? You maintain relationship with regular practice. You do it religiously, right? So let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater because there's bad, empty religion and a religion to impress people. There's good religion where we're devout. We devote ourselves to the things we know will bring intimacy with God. You, you, you know God by pursuing a relationship with him the ways he says to. So this church says, for, we want to be in the word, right? Big emphasis. Why? Because that's how God says we know him. Not to be impressive religious people or legalistic, but because we want to know God. And he says we know him through the word. This church emphasizes fellowship, being meaningfully involved in life groups and knowing people. Because that's one of the ways we primarily know God and prayer and worship and service and proclaiming the good news of Christ and giving. And all these things we do are so we can grow closer to God and know him and see Jesus. When's the last time you heard the word pious used positively? Why are you being so pious? Well, do you know there's a pope? His name was Pope Pius, right? Because that's a, there's a good religious practice that we need to devote ourselves to. The Christian life is not just doing whatever you feel like at the moment. Now our hearts are transformed and we start to want to do these things, but not all the time. But we do them anyway, even when we don't feel like it, because we know that's what's good for our souls and what honors God. And so we pursue these things. So he's devout He's committed to these things. What else is true of him? Well, I think one of the main things is he's patient. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. I don't know how many years, but it's decades. He's an old man here at the end of his life, and he's saying, saying, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm not manufacturing the way it needs to be for myself. I'm trusting God in this. I'm waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's patient. And my, do we need patience? We are in this culture that's incredibly impatient. Has there ever been a less patient culture than this one? You know, I hear people say, I was sitting on the runway for 40 minutes. <laughs> 40 minutes. And I heard a comedian say, yeah, and then you went to the other side of the country in four hours. It used to take people two generations to get to the other side of the country. And now it's uh, 40 minutes. I'm waiting on the run. Now, I'm not saying they don't need to get their act together in a little way, but... but but we're so impatient on this phone. I'm getting a new one. It's making, taking seconds for my email to come up, right? It's just amazing. So where's the patient endurance, right? The Christian life is a long-haul patient endurance waiting for the coming of the Lord. And Simeon was patient. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. What else? The Spirit of God was upon him. This very same thing is said about Mary in this narrative of the birth. It's said about Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. The Holy Spirit is said to be on Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. The Holy Spirit is on Jesus as he goes out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. We don't just figure out God and his ways with our wits. We need the Spirit of God to illumine. That's why that word is so important. That's why this church is doing so many things that are thinking in the right way. We we need illumination. I had a prof in college who loved the New Testament, Dean Beeching. I adored this man. We had a great relationship. He loved the New Testament. He loved this figure, the historical Jesus. But he was an atheist. He didn't even believe in God. So he had all kinds of knowledge about Jesus. But the Spirit of God hadn't gripped his heart and given him eyes to see that 
It's Jesus who's the Savior of the world that he desperately needs. And maybe that's where you are this morning. You see, Jesus is a historical figure. You know, I asked somebody yesterday, what do you think of Jesus? And he said, cool guy. <laughs> I said, that's it. Right? Cool guy. He's more than that. He's, he's the Savior we desperately need. He's the one who comes and solves all our greatest problems. And so when the Word of God and the Spirit of God come together, we have faith now in Christ. Not just knowledge, but knowledge that leads to faith and understanding and insight. And then this last thing I want to highlight about Simeon here is he's grateful. He's grateful. He sees Jesus. He's been waiting his whole life. Just put yourself in his place. He's been waiting his whole life under Roman oppression, waiting for the Savior to come, realizing his own sin, the sins of God's people. That we don't live for him. We need a savior. And and that Messiah who's been promised for centuries, he's been waiting for in his lifetime. And the Holy Spirit finally, he's an old man, comes and says, Simeon, today's the day. The one you've been waiting for. The hopes and fears of all the years will be met in him today. Go to the temple. The one you've been waiting for has arrived. He goes to the temple. He sees the Savior of the world, a baby in the arms of a poor couple. And he takes that baby and weeps and says, I can die now. I've seen the Savior of the world. I know this one is the one I've been waiting for. I think I would have had a hard time with how that revelation came. I put myself in his place, and I'm thinking, man, get these Romans off our backs. Get, get us to a better place. And, and I don't know what image he had of how God was going to provide. But he goes to the temple. If I were in his place, I think my response wouldn't have been like his. I think it would have been more like, really? A baby. This, this is what I've been waiting my whole life for, a baby. They can't even afford the lamp. And this is the savior of the world, a baby. He needs his mouth wiped and his diaper changed. This is how you're going to do it? No, no, no. I didn't wait all this time for this. I think I would have had that kind of instinct. But I would have wanted, and I pray God makes me the kind of man who when I see God's provision, even in its infant form, I could be grateful. And I can take that in my arms. He could have said, even if he does grow up to be the Messiah, I'm not going to live to see it. Bummer about that. No, no, he says, I've seen your salvation. It wasn't just about his experience individually. It was about God's provision for him and for the world. See, it's bigger than just me and my experience. It's about seeing God provide for us in the ways we need, in the ways he decides to, in the timing he brings about. Well, let's not go to God with our agenda about what he better be like and how he better run things if he's going to get my worship. <gasps> No, we go to God as God, not as the one who's our celestial bellhop who takes our orders, right? But the one who created us in his image for himself. And Simeon is able to see God's provision in this one Jesus. And he says, I can die now. And you know what? He quotes scripture over and over again. The scriptures are enabling him to do this. He's saturated with the Bible. When he sees Jesus, he quotes 
just five passages right from the Hebrew Scriptures. He's saturated with the Bible. That's why being devoted to the Scriptures is such an important thing. It informs him, not his experience, but God's promises and God's prophetic word. That's what guides him here, the Scriptures. And he's grateful. He sees Jesus as the one who took our place. And I was walking with my wife yesterday on the, in the harbor, and, and I, we, we were going down this, and my wife said, wow, aren't breakwaters awesome? Look at what that breakwater's doing. It's, it's taking all the turbulent seas and it's creating, look at that safe harbor over there, where those sailboats, they're not even doing this, they're just sitting in the safe harbor. And I thought, oh, I said it to her, Jesus is our breakwater. Jesus is the one who takes all the punishment so we can have peace, so we can live in peace. Jesus is the one, the Bible says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has gone his own way, but God sends his son, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and he bore our punishment. He took our punishment so he could bring us peace. Oh, I would love it if every time you drove by that breakwater from from now on, you would say, Lord Jesus, thank you for taking the punishment in my place because the wages of sin is death and I needed someone to do that for me. And Jesus has done it completely. You don't need to take it anymore. You don't need to beat yourself up or or live in guilt or shame because Jesus took all that upon himself. He took it so that we could have peace. That's who he is. He is our peace now. He's the one who brings us into a safe harbor in relationship with God. And even though sometimes that storm rages in our lives and our lives can get turbulent, those are just glimpses of what Jesus has taken from us ultimately. And that happens by simple faith, turning from sin and self to Jesus in saving faith, saying, not I but Christ. If you've never done that this morning, please make this the day. You say, I can't live in that turbulency anymore. I need to get to a place of peace with God, which gives me peace in my heart and then peace with others. I don't have to constantly make life what I think it needs to be. I can trust God with that. And if you do live in that safe harbor because you've trusted Jesus and let him take your punishment for you, oh, enjoy it more than ever. Enjoy the peace that comes with knowing Christ and having seen him is the one we needed so desperately. Let's pray. Lord, help us. We need help. We are a distracted and weak and frail and sinful people, and we need you. We need to see Jesus. Every one of us needs to see Jesus. Some, probably for the very first time, to really see him. Others need to see him more deeply than we ever have. All of us, Lord, myself included. So Lord, help us all to see Jesus more than ever before. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If... uh... If you have questions about faith, about your walk with Jesus, um, we'd love to talk to you about it. That's why we're here. It's the most important step in your entire life you could make is to say, man, I want to know this Jesus Christ. Um, next steps would be for you talking to me. Eric will be around a little bit. Um, Pastor Len back there. or Even any of the people behind me, um, talk to them. Scare them to death and say, tell me about Jesus, and they'll do it. Um, they'll, they'll respond to you as well. If you need prayer this morning, maybe something in your heart's just 
crying out to say, I need people to pray with me. Um, we have a prayer room there with incredible people that will just listen and then pray for you as well. Um, I want to thank you for coming. We're going to continue our series uh, next week on seeing Jesus. We're going to talk about how Jesus messes up your life, <laughs> and he will, uh, in a very, very good way. And so make sure you come and invite your friends for that, as we're going to be talking very clearly, I hope, and you can pray for that, about the very message of what Jesus did for us and what he does in our hearts. We're going to stand together and finish with the final song. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week in Christ. Thank you. Love you.